Hello, and welcome to Talks with Sarah No Socks, a podcast about failure and how it's leading us to success. Each week, I sit down on Mondays and share my weekly failures with you, and I'm joined on Fridays with a special guest who's sharing their own story of failure and how that's led to their current success. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's show. Well, welcome everybody to this week's episode of Talks with Sarah No Socks. This week I am joined with Corey. I'm excited to sit down and chat with him. He's another San Diegan that we met over Twitter. Such a crazy world Twitter is. Um, But I want to talk with Corey. He is an author, a new author, uh, just late last year. And the book is called Productivity is for Robots. This book was great. It is all about reconnecting, getting creative, and kind of how to stay human in the world we live in, which was so timely for me, um, your book, and hopefully for a lot of other folks as well. So I can't wait to chat about his book, but he has a very interesting story that he alludes to a little bit in the book. So we're going to dive more into that. He was originally in a rock band and then moved over to corporate America and back to freelance writer. So I can't wait to sit down and chat with him about all of the cool things along his journey. So welcome. Thanks, Sarah. Happy to be here. Yeah, I was. Uh, it was great finding you on Twitter, and then um, we exchanged some emails. And I think at some point in your email confirmation, it said San Diego. I was like, Oh no way! You're like right down the street from me. <laughs> I know, such a small world. It's totally crazy. I can't wait till we can like uh, get out of COVID, and then we could actually meet in person. I think you would be my first guest ever that I could see face to face. Absolutely, I, I, I definitely will. Twitter, Twitter's becoming my favorite social media platform over the last few months. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just, like actually making internet friends and relationships. It's like, I feel so, I feel almost, I, I, talk, we can talk about failure. I wish I had doubled down on that platform like a year ago um, instead of right now, but I have big plans for just growing on, on Twitter for 2021. Awesome. Yeah. Well, before we dive into that, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are in your own words? My name is Corey McComb, and I just wrote my very first book, Productivity is for Robots. Sarah, thank you for the introduction. And I'm a San Diego-based writer and a freelance marketer. So I'm um, on one hand in my business life, I help companies test and launch products. So I'm I'm a freelance marketer, so I build sales funnels. I'm really into helping companies go from zero to one with their digital advertising. So when a founder has an idea or a product um, or an invention that they want to share with the world, I come in and help them, you know, dial in their messaging, build a um, a sales funnel online, and then do digital advertising to kind of create a data narrative to see how exciting. So basically, like validating ideas. And what's really cool about that is that I get to be of service to somebody else's vision. Yeah. You know, I get to come in and as a creator myself, I know how special it is when someone has an idea that they've been carrying around and I get to jump in there with them and kind of be in the weeds and and present it to the world and and help them iterate. Um, So that's kind of how I also make my money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Important money makes the world go round. Yeah, books books can, can take a while on, on that front. Um, and then in and then in my writer life, I've been um, writing and sharing ideas online since 2015. I've been a music journalist, a travel writer, personal development, um, short stories, everything like that. And you know, it's it's great to have the balance where I know that I don't really have to depend on that side of my life to have you know income and everything I write is to be of service for other people but I'm able to kind of put myself first on that side of things where I like I'm going to make things that I really really want to make and hope that they serve others Um, so it's a very nice trade-off where I don't really have to depend on my business or my writing to hit both sides of the um, purpose and passion point I guess you could say yeah definitely Wow, that's great. And so San Diego with my wife and um we love it. So life is good. Are you now are you uh an original San Diegan or are you from somewhere else in the world (laughs) to San Diego? 
a very small town called um, Santa Inez. Okay. Yeah, it's near Santa Barbara. Um, so I grew up grew up in a really small town. It's it's like the size of town where if, if I were to run into somebody that's also from that town and I didn't know them, we would very quickly like do the six degrees of death separation. Like, well, do you know this person? It's like, oh, of course. Right. You know? right. Yeah, I grew up in a very small town as well, similar to that, but in Pennsylvania. So I'm I'm new to San Diego and oof, never leaving. It's great here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been here for for almost ten years now, so. Feel, feel like locals. Yeah. How, how about it? After you hit the 10-year mark, it seems like people are either born here and never leave. They come for a couple of years and kind of like stretch and then leave. Or folks such as yourself that are like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I came and I'm staying. We tried to do LA. We did six months in LA last year, actually, <laughs> just, just to give it a try. And we learned after that six months. I'm really happy that we figured it out then and we kind of made yeah. it out there just in time before COVID hit. We like oh, yeah. right before COVID. Mm -hmm. LA is um LA is great for a lot of people, but we, we just miss our friends in the San Diego life so much. So we're happy to be back. Yeah. Awesome. Well great. I'm glad that you're here and that we're chatting. And so you freelance by day to make money and you write by night to fuel your passion. But how did you find writing how did you figure out that writing was something you wanted to do yeah so i started writing back in 2014 it was around 2014 2015 and i had been working a nine to five job and i didn't really know what i wanted to do i always mm -hmm. was never a good student so it was an awful student it was pretty aimless through most of my early 20s and mm -hmm. I was in sales and I was kind of clocking in and out of life, as I, as I call it, um, going through the motions. And I always, you know, looking back, I realized that I wasn't living a very interesting life because I wasn't really interested in that much. I was kind of just head down on the desk and, um, and it was really good for me at the time. Um, because I was developing skills and meeting people. And I think that it's important to kind of go through a, a gray area or just a, a lack of excitement mm -hmm. in your 20s because it kind of help, makes you realize, okay, well, this is what they warned me about. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is this groundhog day of mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was, and I, the, the one thing that I did have um, coming up was I, I was playing music with a few friends in a band. So that was like one source of inspiration for me mm -hmm. um, and, and friendship and camaraderie. And we can talk more about, you know, other, other bands that I've been in. But this was something that, that came about that did add a little bit of spark to my life. Um, but in that band, I was really only playing other people's songs. You know, right. I was kind of like a stand-in guitar player and having fun and, and meeting people and it never really um scratched that creative itch right i didn't really know that i had a creative itch yeah. um but through playing music i ended up meeting another san diegan named uh, rachel frank who is the founder of listensd.com okay which is a local san diego music blog which still exists today and is awesome and this was, you know, five or six years ago, she was looking for writers to write um, album reviews and mm -hmm. reviews. And I had a friend who was doing it, he told me about it. And I said, that sounds really fun. And one of, uh, one of my favorite bands is My Morning Jacket. Mm. Came out heard of them. They're like a cool rock band. Okay. Came out with an album in 2015 that I liked. And I just decided to sit down and write an album review to get on the site. And I was really... What I was really interested in, Sarah, was free concert tickets and free albums. I was hey. like, you know, I, I, you know, almost famous growing up with like <laughs> the yeah. kids, the Rolling Stone writers. So when that opportunity came along, I was like, oh, this sounds like pretty fascinating. And um, something happened when I wrote that album review. It was like the first time where time stood still for me mm -hmm. and just wrestling with a blank page, turning something into nothing really just kind of like collaborating with the music itself. Like I felt like I was kind of making my own piece of piece of art in a way by describing it. Yeah. And 
it was just blast off for me from that point forward. And I started writing more and more. I started writing concert reviews, going to shows, mm-hmm. and just kind of immersing myself in, in the environment and reporting back. And, you know, I've never been a, uh, I've always kind of liked the idea of like the writer life. I've always found it quite romantic. Yeah. But I have never really had the, I don't know, it's, it didn't seem like a real thing. Like I would have been embarrassed to say, I want to be a writer, you know, like yeah. it wasn't in me or something. Um, but you know, I did that more and more. I got in the habit of sitting in front of a computer, taking notes, typing things out and then publishing them for people to see. And the more I did that, um, the more I loved it. And I realized how just more creative that made me feel. It, it, I didn't know what I was missing until I started doing that. Yeah. And around the same time, I had gotten a job at the San Diego Reader, which is a, mm-hmm. a, a weekly newspaper, kind of like an alternative press magazine. Mm-hmm. And I was selling advertising there. And I kind of was falling more into like business and sales and a little bit more professional, like what you call like LinkedIn content. So I'd like, yeah. you know, I was reading, I, I discovered like James Altucher and mm-hmm. And Tim Ferriss and, and a lot of those, you know, uh, personal development, Mount Rushmore right. type, of, type of people. And, and I fell in love with it. I was like, these, this is great. Like, these are really smart, creative people writing about things and having mm-hmm. conversations that I had never heard before. Um, you know, when I was in my 20s, the four-hour work week, like, it, it was out, but no one told me about it. I didn't really understand mm-hmm. there was this whole other um, carve your own path world. Mm -hmm. So as I was writing music blogs, I started reading things like that. And I was like, I kind of have something to say about things. And I, Mm -hmm. then I started shifting into personal development and, and sharing in that way. And, um, then I had two things I was writing about Then I decided to be a travel writer. My, (laughs) my, my, I met my wife at the San Diego reader and, Uh He fell in love and decided to run away to South America for an extended period of time. Oh, and awesome. That was during the rise of like Instagram travel influencers and things. Uh-huh. Sure. That was like my first time I was like, I'm going to make a commitment here to like try and grow an audience and actually like make this like my income. I was like, I'm going to be a travel blogger. Mm-hmm. We're going to go around the world for free. We're going to do all these things. And that, and then, and then we set off and we were to accomplish a lot of that. Um, so yeah, so that that's the first part of the journey of like me writing, and then um, I think I think you know there were some failures in that and leaving the job and finding out what I like and what I don't like. But after those first few years of of writing, it was pretty much I pretty much decided that whether it makes money or not, it's going to always be something that I want to have nearby because you know there's and I write about this in the book how it can really just open up. You can just give you a first row seat to an orchestra of life that you never knew that was yeah. playing. And um, yeah. that, that's what it did for me. So I'm really happy to be able to continue to do it and, and share it with other people. Yeah, I think that's super fascinating. I'm always interested how people get into their thing. How did they find it? I think the bridge that you made from music and celebrating music in your early career with music. So you started in a band at 16, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing that you just like hit the road with a band at 16. Um, and yeah, that music was really the tying factor. So there's always something that connects it to the next thing. I think it's really fascinating that music has been your theme, right? That has connected you to all of these little paths. I'm not sure if that was evident to you. Sometimes I say those things and people are like, what? <laughs> but um, I think for you, it's pretty obvious that you're very aware that music has been a lifeline for you for your entire journey and kind of bridged and knitted all of these different things together. I think that's really fascinating. It, it's really cool. And it's something that wasn't obvious to me until recently. It's, um, I've been I've been very lucky with music. It was after skateboarding, when I turned 13, I, I discovered guitar and you know, mm-hmm. Link 182. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it for me. I was like, I'm going to be in a band. Yeah. So I was, I was very lucky to be able to play music. And it, it's funny how you do have those things that, you know, I've, I've heard when people talk about 
you know, how to find your passion or your purpose or like meaningful work. And that can be kind of like a loaded word for a lot of people. Um, one of the pieces of advice though, I think is actually really good is to go back and look at your childhood and to mm -hmm. see the things that really made time stand still yep. for you and really captivated you. And um, as I've, I think I really turned my back on music for a while mm. um, after leaving the, the first band and saying, I'm, I don't want to just end up some folded up 40 year old in the back of a van. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rough okay. life to be a full time musician. I mean, it yep. seems glamorous on paper, but whew, it's tough. Right. You know, but as I've gotten older and into my 30s, I kind of realized just how much of that kind of punk rock rebellion that is really kind of stuck around and guided a lot of decisions and and you know um helps me make big decisions about business and writing and other areas of my life so yeah there's definitely like a musical through line that I feel lucky to have had yeah I think that's really cool I totally agree ikigai is something that's kind of near and dear to me I think we have maybe twisted it a little bit in our interpretation on this side of the hemisphere but you know the true meaning the Japanese meaning is um a little bit different and more fluid. And I think you touched on it perfectly, right? Like, how do you lose yourself and what really brings you joy and fulfills you? We've turned it into a way to also make money and like, how do you give back to what the world needs, which I think is great on paper and helps you sometimes identify these things. But it's also important to remember that sometimes the what makes you money might not make you a livable income but could bring you an immense amount of joy if you can tie it together in a balanced fashion, which I think is something that you really talk about well in your book. Um, we become this society focused on productivity and how to monetize your passion and how to crank out content and do all of the things. And it's exhausting. And, you know, you and I spoke before I started recording, but your book was just it felt like my story too, and that, you know, you hit this burnout and you don't even realize how it happened and you're just past the point of no return. And the only thing to do is just like full on stop, <laughs> stop, right. you know, and kind of have a reset. So talk to me a little bit about that and what that was like for you personally. Yeah, well, I've, I've definitely experienced a lot of pain and suffering in the mind and the body. Um, because the, the body follows the mind, um, just in trying to catch up to that entrepreneurship rah-rah where you feel like you do have to tie your passion and your income together. There's kind of a lot of pressure out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that our parents' generation maybe grew up thinking that you have to get a job and, and make a living, and this isn't mm -hmm hobby like get a job <laughs> right and, and, and then that was fine then and then we kind of grew up where people were saying like oh you can you can make money however you want and you can have your passion be your job and that's kind of a lot of pressure it's and, yes <laughs> and it, and it forces you to say oh if this is my passion and my purpose then I have to figure out a way to make a living at it mm -hmm. and the truth is like we kind of skipped a little bit of uh, we were able to kind of fast forward ahead as our generation with technology, because you actually don't, you can actually make a lot of money doing other things that are still enjoyable. It might not be like your absolute dream job, but it can create a lot of space to still do your passion. So they don't actually have to be married. And there's a certain point where I think that it makes sense for them to be. Um, but I think a lot of pain and suffering happens from people that mm -hmm. should just be creating and sharing and adding value to the world and not worry so much if it's necessarily their 40 hour a week. Type of, type of thing. Um, yeah. But for me, yeah, I, I folded under the pressure because uh, I had a lot of the pieces of my dream life kind of swirling around me at the same time. I had, uh, I had gotten a job with a, with a remote marketing agency just filled with like the smartest, nicest people I'd ever met. And they were paying me um, a lot of money. I wasn't qualified for the job. They just happened to like me and I had just enough experience to, for them to be willing to take me under the wing and teach me everything. So I kind of had a chip on my shoulder going into it. And I had always wanted to work remote because I, I had this vision of it would just be like, you know, like open up the laptop at a Bali coffee shop and then start right. coming back. <laughs> you mean that's not how it is? I yeah. can't believe it. Yeah. And, um, 
And then I was also, I also wanted to write a book. That was like one of my dreams for like 2018. And I was also about to get married. So I had all these great things kind of coming about and I was just putting so much pressure on myself. And I, I think that I was tapping into what we see a lot of, which is just like this idea that if you're not capitalizing on your success, if you're not squeezing out every last drop of like focus and attention and really just really going for with everything that you have that you're somehow falling behind, right. you know, and I had a lot of smart people around me letting me know that, oh, there's these systems that you can do to like get more done and don't, don't take it so seriously. And it, it came to a head for me where I realized that it wasn't about how much I was getting done or wasn't accomplishing. It was just that I was constantly being driven every morning and every night by this idea that I'm not doing enough. Like mm -hmm. I'm falling behind here yep. and it's something that I still struggle with. I mean, you know, we mentioned Twitter at the top of the talk and it's like, as, as much as that can be a really inspiring place, it's also a place where it's like, look at all these people doing all these crazy things. Oh yes. <laughs> it can be very intimidating on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you know, I, what happens with burnout that a lot of people don't realize, I think, is that you can get burnt out doing the things that you love. It's, oh, yeah. it's not just burnt out from, from the day job that you wish you didn't have in the first place. You can, that was a surprise for me. It was like, I would wake up trying to write and that was supposedly my, my passion and what made time stand still, right? Why am I feeling this way doing it? It's because not only was like the writing suffering because of the burnout, I, I had actually fractured my relationship to the writing itself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like building up knots in your neck. It, it can be a small little piece, but it can just drive your whole body crazy. Right. You know, and when we really try to try to just beat the drum on that hustle and grind culture and just write until you can't write or design until you can't design, whatever it is that you, that you say that you love, when you're, when you start beating your body and your brain down, trying to do it more and more, you can create little micro tears and, and pieces of trauma around that work. And then you wake up one morning, look in the mirror and realize you're just a disconnected robot. And, um, and I, and I quickly realized that if I wanted to maintain a relationship, not just with with my fiance at the time who was tired of seeing me just burnt out and stressed out. If I just, if I just wanted to have a good, like feel good about work that was coming into my inbox or, or ideas that I had to write because I was at the point where, and you know, you can let me know if you've ever felt this way or you're ever just so burnt out in one area that no matter what comes around you, it's just going to sound like one more thing. This is going to sound like one more to do list. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was all of 2020 for me. Yeah. No joke. Like 100%. The entire year, I'm like, I can't. It's just, I cannot do one more thing. And they were simple, small little tasks. And, you know, my career ended and I had a very nice plan and everything was scheduled. And, you know, on paper, it looked great. And my exit strategy was well aligned. And so that's how I thought I would move into my own entrepreneurial journey, like on a schedule, on task. Let me get done. Let, let's cross off the checklist. And when that started to not go well, everything else that had to be done or, you know, was thrown in the middle. Oh, that was it, man. It was over. I'm like, I can't. It's yeah. too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, so for me, I consider last year a failure, but the, like the year of failure that I really, really needed and didn't know that I needed while I was going through it, it was intense. Um, you know, when you have burnout, I went through six months of like extreme burnout, depression and anxiety and, you know, insomnia and no kind of self-care or eating or like the simplest tasks were just not manageable. But that entire course of failure really set me up for a lot of really important lessons that I'm now able to implement as I move into the end of 2020 and as we are into 2021 here. So talk to me about how that journey felt for you. Did it feel like failure when you eventually hit that wall and said, I can't do this? You know, what did that look like? Yeah, absolutely. I, I quit that job because of that. Mm -hmm. I had to make a decision where 
my, my, you know, what it comes down to for me is the question of like, how do you want your days to look and feel Mm -hmm. and how to work towards that? Um, and that can always be a moving target as well. Um, but I, I realized that as much as I loved this job and the people that I was working with, and it wasn't a failure because I, I, they provided me a really great skill set that I'm still able to use today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't doing anybody any service, continuing to just burn the candle at both <laughs> ends and, and, yeah. and just kind of be a miserable a robot. Um, so yeah, so I ended up leaving that job and I got married around the same time. And I was like, I have this new wife and this, in this new life and no money and no job. And what am I going to do? Um, this was actually in 2019, beginning of 2019. And I was really lucky actually, Sarah, because I just immediately started getting freelance work. Um, so to, to back up, let me just say for, for other freelancers, this is the, th- the third time I'd actually quit a full-time job trying to go out on my own. And, yeah. and, and it was the third time that I actually succeeded. So the first time, it was when my wife and I left the, uh, the, the advertising agency, the San Diego Reader, thinking I was going to be some travel writer. Like, nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the hard thing about easy things. It's like everyone can be a travel writer. Yes. Very hard to make money. Um, and I actually ended up going back to that job um, after that trip and saying, I made a mistake. Like, let me let me work here again. And then during that time is when I started getting digital marketing skills. So I was working at that job, talking about SEO, website builds, photography packages. And as I was selling that, I was teaching it, uh, teaching myself on the side. Yeah. So I was learning how to build uh, WordPress, Squarespace sites. I had a, a camera. I was studying SEO. And I was able to build a few life rafts while I was there. A couple of companies that weren't able to afford the high ticket there, I was able to do some outside work for. Yep. Um, you know, like, sorry if anybody's listening <laughs> from there. Okay. And I, I was able to build a few life rafts and then leave that job. And I had, I think I had like almost 2K a month in like recurring customer revenue, which was like really good for me. I was like, okay, this yeah, is awesome. Yeah. I, can, I can grow this. Yeah. But it was all you know, there, there's a difference between being like an entrepreneur and then also just like having five different bosses. Uh-huh. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was kind of like living, like I had like four or five people paying me $500 a month. Um, uh-huh. made it really hard. Um, I was spinning a lot of plates and that was its own little case of burnout, but it was a lot of fun. Um, but I quickly realized that that signing new business meant sacrificing on others. And it was just, it just wasn't built to scale. And that's when I failed at that second, that was my second failure trying to go out on my own. And then the third was when I worked at these um, remote um, crowdfunding agency. I'll just, I'll just uh, call it launch boom is mm-hmm. like one of the number one crowdfunding agencies in the world. If anyone's launching a Kickstarter project, go to them. They're the best. Very lucky to get a job there. And I thought that's where I would stay until the burnout happened. Right. And um, and that failure led to the third try of going out on my own and freelance. And, you know, after I left LaunchBoom, I finally had a skill set that was mm-hmm. more mature and developed and, like, could be used in an incredible, uh, was an incredible piece of leverage for freelance work. Yeah. So since then, I've been able to really go from a place of fear of where's the money going to come from and how am I going to have clients but really being able to choose relationships based on like how excited I am by the mm-hmm. founder and how much we get along and, and be able to say no to more and uh, uh, yes to less. And so that, that's, that was the, the almost struck out there. On the yeah. but, um, so yeah, so so after that, in in the business world, I've been able to um, to kind of go back and say like, how do I want my days to look? And I've gotten much better at saying um, yes to the clients that I want to work with and no to others. And that's really that's something I still struggle with. I guess I'm not totally out of the woods because, you know, for for anyone who owns their own business or is a freelancer, it's it's kind of hard to say no to money. 
right? It's very hard to say no to money. <laughs> you spend your first few years trying to scramble and like get mm -hmm. as many yeses as you can. And then it's hard to flip that switch and say like, okay, like I don't really need this project. It's actually just going to take me further away from the things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. So 2020 was a year where I was able to say no a lot more and kind of stick to my guns. And, um, and that was the only reason I was able to write this book. Yeah. <laughs> Finally get it done. That's awesome. I think it's really important what you touched on there that you tried and failed multiple times. A lot of people, I think, well, Maybe they don't, but I had this vision of what freelancing and entrepreneurial life would be like, and it's nothing like the reality that it is, which is partly why I'm so passionate about sharing everything and peeling back the curtains to show people that, yes, it's a lot of this, you know, like you may not get it right the first time. Most likely you won't. You're going to struggle to find clients. You're going to take work you don't want to do. You're going to overwork yourself and undercharge, and it's going to be a mess, and you're going to have five, six people at a time asking you all for the same thing instead of like the one boss at your job. Um, but it's important. It really shows you, I just said the other day that I feel like entrepreneurship is the test of mental fortitude. Like if you can mentally prepare yourself to be all things to all people and figure out how to build a life around that, you'll be fine. But it does not come easy and it's not fast. I mean, you're literally accounting and marketing and then whatever skill set you're supposed to be selling <laughs> all wrapped into one uh, plus social media manager and content production. And it's busy. <laughs> it's very busy. Yeah. So I think it's important to touch on the fact that a lot of people freelance on the side and have a day job that pays the bills because that's the reality of the world that we live in and not necessarily the social media world that we live in. <laughs> where on some people's pages, they are portraying, you know, that they're doing very well, yet they may have a huge team supporting them that they're not showing you. So just keep that in mind as you move on into the freelance world that some folks have quite a few people helping them behind the scenes. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of pressure to become even freelancer has a weird word where it almost sounds like an entrepreneur that hasn't graduated yet. Like, oh, you're still you're still trading time for money. Uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> isn't that what we're all doing? <laughs> it's like we're all we're all doing that. Entrepreneurs are doing that too. And what's great about the new world in is that we have so much leverage and the skill sets that you can develop on a part time basis to make huge money moves and add huge amounts of value has never been better. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily have to start your own company. You know, this idea of freedom where you don't, you don't want to work the nine to five. You don't want to have to clock in and out of life and you feel empty in your job. You can also, you don't have to go start your own company to escape that. You can also build a skill set and be a freelancer and service someone else's vision and create time and space in your day. So I think there's a lot of different paths that are starting to emerge. And I think yeah. we're going to start seeing a more freelance entrepreneur, like how those two can kind of bleed together and not be so, um, and, 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 you know, just be one in the same in a lot of ways. I think you can be a freelancer and still maintain a lot of that entrepreneurial spirit mm -hmm. and have entrepreneurial core values where you're in profit sharing relationships and you are helping start companies and still getting that freelance energy or sorry, that startup energy right. without, um, <laughs> without signing away the next 10 years and 80 hours a week. Yeah, definitely. I think so. I think the other thing too, um, to keep in mind is that you know, you as a person are not scalable. So just consider that when you're entering this vast space that is entrepreneurship and free freelancership or whatever term you want to build, like, just remember that you as a person only have so much time and energy to give. And so that's not a scalable thing. You cannot make yourself bigger. <laughs> you can build a business that takes on more clients. But if you're doing, you know, face to face work, I think that's one thing that a lot of people forget. Um, when they enter this space and think, oh, I'm going to freelance for like five people a month. Cool. But you're just one person. <laughs> so make make sure that what you're doing is manageable along with everything else that you're working in there. And I think it's important to use that to your advantage. 
Mm-hmm. The fact that you aren't a scalable person, you know, I'll tell you about another failure that I had throughout 2019, which was while I was very lucky to get a lot of um, inbound offers, I, I did find myself competing against a lot of other agencies. Mm-hmm. I put out a bid and I started to find myself in these conversations right around the time it was to like sign, sign a contract or I'd be sending out proposals where the customer, the, the prospect would say, well, this agency is offering me this and I was constantly trying to like answer back to these agencies that had manpower and right. and then I, I it, it was I think I lost like three or four big deals where I was like well how am I supposed to compete with these agencies and I realized it's like no like don't compete with those agencies because you never will win like you right. have to, it's like Corey you have to focus on the things that they cannot do and that's when I started to lean into and kind of design, you know, what are, what are, what's my business's core values? What are the things that like actually don't scale? Yeah. Cause it's very hard for a big marketing agency to be thoughtful, you know, the like that extra level yep. of this where you're going to call and make friends with your client mm-hmm. and, you know, collaboration. Cause some, some of these things, for, for big agencies, you, you they just you just can't scale them out like that. You know, it has to right. be kind of a bit of a client agency handoff, and then they report back. Mm-hmm. Whereas once I kind of stuck my flag down and said, "Hey, if you work with me, you're gonna get the, you're not gonna get these other things. Like you and I are gonna have to come together." You know, going back to the music, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really think of myself in my business as more of a record producer. Like the customer is the artist. They've got an album inside of them, and I'm just here to help you get that album out and trying to make it as best. We're going to go in the studio together. I'm going to tell you where to turn it up and turn it down. We can arrange songs, but this is a collaboration. And um, once I started realizing that I could, quote unquote, like scale the unscalable, like those personality traits, it, it became so much easier to know what to say yes to, what to say no to enter into the relationships where we both know this is what's going to happen and um, make, make the days how I want them to look. Yeah. I think that's so important that you touched on that. Definitely pulling in yourself and showing the clients, the potential client, what they're getting when they get just you as opposed to a agency or multiple people is super, super important. Um, can't be overstated enough. And I love that you relate it back to music. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> is that your pitch? Do you like go in and be like, okay, here we are. That's right. I totally would do it, man. Just pull it all together. So talk to me about like how you're finding clients and how you're reaching out in this now super connected world. We were connected before COVID, but as we've all seen in the past year, everything's online. So <laughs> we, we kind of, I found it to be very beneficial and I've met some amazing people through Twitter. Um, but I talk frequently about how I feel like I wasted a lot of time on Instagram and went nowhere and didn't make connections and didn't find, find people. Um, you know, I found a lot of accounts, but I didn't find true people until I really went to Twitter. So we touched on it earlier, but I love to hear more thoughts on that. And you said you're, you're looking to build out Twitter for 2021. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've seen firsthand just in a few short months. Twitter's a, an interesting thing because it can be such a toxic wasteland if you're not, if you just kind of just log on and just let it do what it does naturally. Right. Like you follow celebrities and people. I, I but I, I call it a follow, unfollow happy hour that you can do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sit down for an hour and, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of how I did. I, you know, I got into, you know, things like no code, which I know that you're interested mm-hmm. in talk to people about yep. building public no code, um, just creators, just the, the, the creator, um, ecosystem I was able to tap into. And there's just so much positivity, like so many creators lifting each other up, shouting each other out, um, showcasing their work, um, thinking in public and, mm-hmm. And it's really blown me away just how that platform went from something that was kind of making me feel depressed mm-hmm. 
which it still can. It's like it's like walking around a big city, and if you take one wrong turn, you're people yes. throwing bottles out the window. It's true. Yeah, it's true. There's still a lot of negativity hidden behind the curtains there. Yeah. Yeah, but you can find the nice neighborhoods, and you can find like-minded individuals. And I think that for people that are looking to create and share ideas and you know, be of service and ask questions that it's a really great place. Instagram can be that too, but I'm the same as you, Sarah. I spend a lot of time on there. I don't have mm-hmm. as much to show for it from, from a business and writing perspective. Um, that platform has been, has been good to me as well, but you know, I'm really interested in, in creating more things, you know, because so yeah. I'm early in on my journey. And um, I think the, the biggest takeaway for me the biggest mental shift that I've made is, you know, I used to treat these platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as mechanisms to like steal attention and get them into my ecosystem. Like I, I kind of looked at it like, like a tool to like dangle carrots and then try and get them in my blog and like get them into my newsletter and sell them things. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm so slow to it, but I'm finally realizing that that's not how it works. We right. actually just want to, that's, it like make your content and add your value right there on that platform so that people can see it. you're not you know trying to take people away from from twitter or instagram like mm-hmm. give it to them right there yep so that's kind of been an eye-opener for me and um you know i'm kind of in between projects i i have more books in me and more writing that i want to do i have a newsletter that i'm starting to kind of treating that same mind frame of mm-hmm. being its own thing. And yeah, you know, I, I would love to, rather than continue to, to build clients to make some, like a course on Gumroad to help people scale digital advertising and go from digital, um, from zero to one with ads. So yeah. I, I have plans, but right now I, I want to evangelize the productivity is for robots message. And yes. uh, self-publishing has been, its own journey. Um, I've learned a lot there too. And I'm, I'm just happy to try and get the book out there and just continue to meet more people. Yeah, that's amazing. You touched on some really hot topics that are up and coming. Um, first of all, yes, build in public Twitter. The hack I have learned to Twitter, and I could send it to you after this, um, but I, I watched a YouTube video which sounds ridiculous, but with um, David Perel, who I'm sure you probably know, and Matt Kobach, and they did a like how to win at Twitter. And basically you should be following people and not companies and you select your followers based on what you want to see. So you don't ever take the algorithm's recommendations. You know, you treat that follow as closely as you can right so I often watch people for a while before I follow them to be sure like yes this is content I want to see in my life and is bringing positivity to me and supporting what I want to do and once I watch that and kind of embrace that oh my gosh yeah my Twitter experience was a hundred percent different I was right there with you it was totally negative I was following a lot of corporate accounts and celebrities and things I still have a few of them on there um I'm a huge Star Wars nerd so I follow Mark Hamill he's amazing you should follow him he's very funny um but yeah and I just started making these amazing connections and meeting real people and the magic of Twitter really happens in the DMs man you get to meet people who are CEOs folks that you would never be able to talk to in a million years and they always seem to answer their DMs. It's kind of uh, crazy to me. So that, yeah, that's my little Twitter hack for all the listeners and for you. Um, I would say in terms of newsletters are huge right now. So go for it. I know you have a sub stock. We'll uh, we'll chat about that and I'll be sure to link it. Newsletters are definitely huge, but I think self-publishing, you know, the the saying goes right everybody has a book in them and i think self-publishing is underrated i don't think enough people go that route and i'm not quite sure why so i would be really really fascinated if you would develop a course on that and walk folks through like how do you self-publish i think that would be amazing (laughs) to know all of those ins and outs there's a lot of value add there for sure but absolutely yeah i was able to leverage a lot of my product launching experience with um you know building a sales funnel and validating mm-hmm. ad spend yeah um to like build like a pre-launch list and to 
I'm, I'm still learning how to hack it, you know, or yeah. use the word hack. So learning how to really get the most out of it. There's some great resources for self-publishing and I was really surprised at how easy Amazon actually makes it once you have, you know, right. like book and, and everything, but it's, it's a topic that I would love to explore and share more about. And that's going to be one of the things that I do do in 2021 in terms of, I don't know if it's technically built in public as much as just being transparent and like sharing, yeah. sharing things, you know, Build in public means different things to different people, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, and you know, sticking with the theme of, of failure, I think that the biggest failure that I had in 2019 and 2020 while I was finishing up the book was I kind of sold myself on the story that I couldn't build a community and write a book at the same time. Oh, interesting. You know, I, I still had some trauma from trying to do too much at once. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, understandable. And I kind of neglected the, the 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 small but mighty audience that I had, and said, I, "Okay, I need to go lock myself away in a cave and write this book, and then when I emerge, people will be ready for it." And and I knew that wasn't really true because everyone already tells you like that's you don't right. want it. It's <laughs> right, right. But you know, I sold myself that story. And maybe it was fine because it, it gave me the space I needed to write the book, but I really want to rectify that in 2021 and mm -hmm. audience growth and community is, mm -hmm. is really, my, my wife asked me, what's your word for 2021 <laughs> the other day? I'm like, what? what are you talking about? I don't have a word. And she's like, no, <laughs> you need a word. And I was like, I don't even want to think in year long things. And then I right. thought about it a little bit more and I was like, community. She's like, that's it. That, that's the one you need. That's a great word. Um, I always do words of the year as well. I think community is huge. It's definitely something that has been a recurring theme throughout the pandemic, where a lot of folks realized that we had an audience, but we didn't have a community. And finding your community within the audience, right, is what's really right. important. So that's a, that's I think that's, that, that's pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I had an audience on Instagram. I had had people, but I have a community from Twitter, right? So a little bit different for me. Um, I think that's great. My word for 2021 is boundaries because I'm very bad at saying no. So okay, yeah. a, a lot more no's coming down the pike. Yeah, well, boundaries for myself. I, I'm an empath, and so it's really difficult for me when people come and say, hey, can you just help me with... I'll stop whatever I'm doing and help them. That's just because I'm like, sure, no problem. I'm healthy helper tendencies. It's not good. It leads yeah. down to a lot of issues. Well, um, we know is hard, but it it almost always feels so good. Like in the in the end, it does. Yeah, it definitely does. It's just um, yeah, a work in progress, right? Aren't we all? We're all a work in progress. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I try every day. Well, great. You answered a lot of the questions that I had written down here on my notes, but I wanted to touch briefly on business owners. And if you're going to jump into this journey based on, you know, the failures that you've had and the multiple tries that you've had, if you were starting out today and you had a full-time job and you were considering leaving that, what's the piece of advice you would give someone before they jumped in? Before they left their full-time job? Well, there's a great saying that's you know, money won't solve all your problems, but it will solve all your money problems. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a lot of problems are money problems. Yeah. Um, so I've, my relationship with money has gotten a lot better over the years. And I don't know if that's because I've done a lot of work thinking about it or just because I've made more money. Um, but don't put yourself in a, in a state of stress. You know, if you're, if you're leaving a job, I always do recommend that you either have enough money saved up to go a year or, or so, or some type of safety net where it's not going to create stress in your life because stress is the ultimate killer, stress and worry. You know, once you have to start making decisions based on worry and stress, your decisions are just going to start not being as good as they would otherwise. Right. You know? So try and try and do your best to, um, to have some money saved up or, or if you're the best case scenario is to do what I was talking about earlier is like have a couple of life that uh, life rafts built mm -hmm. out 
where it can kind of sustain you and you're like, okay, I can like pay my rent and eat with the revenue that I have coming in consistently and the time away from the job will let me go. I would also say get really clear on why you're leaving your job and how do you want your days to look and feel and why you can't make them look and feel the way you want them to with your job. Um, one of the, one of the things that I touch on in the book is when it comes to burnout, burnout isn't always doing too much of something. It's also connected to not doing what the one thing that you should be doing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. people, people like to overestimate, um, you know, you see like the Elon Musk's of the world doing like running 17 different companies and working mm-hmm hours a week and they think he just must be on some neuroing smart drug but, but people underestimate how much energy you get from doing something that you really really love yeah. so if, if if you're neglecting a passion you know for me I was getting burnt out from the job because I was overworking and over worrying but it was also because I, I stopped doing this one other thing called writing that was giving me all the energy yeah it's like you can fix burnout and un happiness you don't always have to just burn the boats and walk away from the thing that's making you unhappy sometimes it's just actually adding something adding something that is going to take the edge off of what you or think that you don't like um so i would really encourage people to before they go full-blown subtraction to Mm -hmm. see if like one little piece of addition could actually like really smooth the edges out um and then try and build some life rafts (laughs) That's great advice. I think the addition piece, a lot of folks miss. Um, yeah. If you, even if it's painting or maybe you need to add a couple extra hours of Netflix because you just want to have mindless TV or go surfing or go for a hike or, you know, whatever it is. I think that's really important. Adding something in great advice. Definitely. Yeah. Good. Good. Sarah. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This is such a great conversation. Where can people find you and find your book? People can find the book on Amazon. It's exclusively on Amazon right now. Um, I've got like a three-month exclusive exclusive deal there. Um, so it's in paperback and on Kindle there. And you can follow me on Twitter at Corey McComb. And I have a newsletter. It's called The Temperature Check. It's on, it's on Substack, and you know, if you find me on Twitter, you can you can get all the links right through there. And um, you know, I, I hope you check out the book. I, I'm really proud of it, Sarah. Thank you for reading it, and um, yeah. I'm going to be sharing more and more about my journey and everything that we talked about um, throughout the year. Awesome! I really look forward to it. I will be sure to link all of that in the show notes so folks can get it directly. Again, thank you so much, Corey. This was such a great chat. This is great. Thanks, Sarah. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for our guests joining this week and sharing their story of failure. It's always great to hear what happens when we go through failure and success that we experience on the other side. If you would like to keep in touch with me in between episodes, hop on over to Twitter. You can follow me at Sarah No Socks. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that over on the webpage or you can now buy me a coffee and both of those are linked in the show notes. Be sure to tune in on Mondays for my solo episodes. Until next time, bye.